if you don't recognize the candidates' names, but you do know who's supporting them, those endorsements, I think that will hold weight. And of all these different candidates, you say like, oh yeah, I realize I really liked this candidate, they supported him, and that's what I'm gonna go for, or her, whomever it is. Stay tuned, that's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. A little more than a week till Super Tuesday as caucus goers make their voices heard in Nevada this weekend. Still waiting to find out what happens next. Here's where things stand. It certainly seems Senator Bernie Sanders is now the front runner with strong showings in the first three states. But after South Carolina next Saturday, he and the other candidates are bracing for Super Tuesday when Mike Bloomberg's name will also be on the ballot. That dynamic led to an explosive debate in Las Vegas this week. But what will we see next? Will the nomination still be up for grabs in May when Indiana holds its primary? And does all of this division end up helping the president in the end? This week, we caught up with Democratic Congressman Andre Carson and both of Indiana's Republican senators. That's what a democracy is all about. I mean, I think that debate with so many great minds, it forced people to really uh, push their policy positions forward before the American people. And have, are you close to endorsing anybody yet? Not yet, though, but I love everyone. I love Pete. He's a good friend of mine. He's a Hoosier. I love what Bernie has to say. I love what Elizabeth has to say. I spoke to Bloomberg the other day. Uh, I think they all show some talent. Any front runners in your opinion? You know, I, I, I think right now they're all doing a pretty good job. The election will come down to the economy and to the risk you may want to take with what you saw last night versus an agenda that I think is working across the board. It's an election year, of course. Congress seems to be more divided than ever in many ways after the State of the Union and after the impeachment trial. Where are we right now as a country? Well, look, the State of the Union is strong. Just as the president recently said, the economy is humming, wages are rising, unemployment's at a 50-year low. We have 200 judges on the federal bench now who are faithful constitutionalists. They understand their job is not to make the law. And we're safe and secure internationally. So um, I'm very optimistic about our country's future. We just need to make sure that we uh, continue on current pace. This election year, we're already uh, hearing some reports about Russia's attempts to interfere. And now there are reports the acting DNI, Dan Coates' replacement, may have been pushed out in part because he reported to Congress about those concerns. Do you find that troubling? Of course. I, I, I'm Number one, I'm not surprised that Russia is making attempts to interfere in our election process. It's something they've really done for years preceding the 2016 election. We need to stay vigilant here. We need to work with and listen to our intelligence community. And uh, I intend to be playing an active role in that part. Is the White House doing enough in that regard? Um, I think they are. Roger Stone sentenced this past week. Do you think the president is likely to pardon him? What would your reaction to that you be? You know, I don't get involved in, in, in a lot of this palace intrigue. People sent me to Washington to make sure the economy continues to grow. It's done that, that wages rise, that there's more opportunity for rank-and-file Hoosiers, and that we keep people safe and secure. I'll continue to focus on that agenda. And what about this back and forth with the attorney general who said the president's tweets make it, quote, difficult for him to do his job? Do you think the president's tweets make it difficult? Are they harmful to the DOJ and its credibility in any way? I, I take the DOJ's credibility seriously. Uh, that's an important issue of public policy. But um, it sounds as though we're, we're getting into the realm of palace intrigue and so forth. The president can deal with his, his cabinet members uh, as, as he sees fit. All right, more of that interview with Senator Young next week and also on our website. Just click on In Focus. 
Well, now to the race for Congress in Indiana's 5th Congressional District, which stretches from the north side of Indy to Hamilton County and beyond. With Susan Brooks retiring, it's a Republican primary with 16 different candidates. Well, I decided to run because our liberty is in peril. And I looked around at the field of the people uh, who were running late, late in the game, late filing, uh, and realized that, uh, that I, we were in real jeopardy of losing this seat. Immigration is broken, healthcare needs reform. There are national security issues that are pressing and paramount. And I strongly feel that I am the candidate with the experience and the education and the skill set to represent this wonderful district at this critical time in DC. I think the larger field favors me. And in fact, what I like about it is that's an example of democracy at its best. You know, people can run uh, and, and you get you kind of throw your hat in the ring. Our interviews there last week with three of the candidates in the race. Now our interview with candidate Beth Henderson. Is there a front runner right now in this primary? And what, if anything, does it say about this field that 16 candidates are running for this nomination? You're right. There are so many candidates running. And I, I am staying focused on my own campaign. Uh, we are uh, working hard. I've got a great campaign team. We are the first on television, first on the radio. I was a front runner for fundraising, so we're just trying to keep up the pace and uh, focus on our own campaign. Well, a lot of candidates with a lot of different backgrounds in this campaign. Uh, what did you make of the news? Carl Brizzy, former Marion County prosecutor, uh, getting into this race here in the last couple of weeks. Well, again, there are so many candidates with different backgrounds, uh, different um, uh, careers, but with my background as a nurse, with my business background, entrepreneur background, agriculture background, I feel like I bring the most to the table as far as uh, being well-rounded and having the experience needed to really represent the people of the 5th District. You mentioned you raised a lot of money already. You also had Senator Mike Braun uh, appearing with you at a fundraiser in recent days. What does that mean for your campaign in such a crowded race? Well, first of all, Senator Braun, for him to take time out of his busy schedule and come to an event, and he will be at several others, uh, means the world to me. Mike is such a wonderful friend and mentor, and what he has done his first year in Senate is amazing. So um, with Mike's background being a businessman, my background being a businesswoman, both successful business uh, owners, with our backgrounds together, we can make a lot of difference in D.C. Uh, While well, you had Senator Braun there at the fundraiser this week, there was also a report out this week involving uh, your prior financial support for a former Indiana senator, Democratic Senator Evan Bayh, who you reportedly contributed to in the early 2000s, including a, a $1,000 contribution. Are you concerned at all about how that might look to Republican primary voters? Not at all. Not at all. That yeah. was 18 years ago. Um, my husband, uh, he and I started an agriculture business, and that was an event that was... Um, Evan Bayh was involved with the agriculture and biotechnology initiative programs. And being in agriculture, we supported that and supported those initiatives. We were actually invited to that event by uh, Ted McKinney, who is now in our USDA in DC. Uh, for those who might ask, you know, does that mean you once were a Democrat? Or have you always been a lifelong Republican? I've always been a lifelong Republican. Yeah. Always been a lifelong Republican. All right, more of that interview on our website. This week, I also sat down with candidate Micah Beckwith. To me, we send Republicans to Congress to be fiscal conservatives, to stand and fight for 
social conservative values, and they get out there and they just back down. And I think for me, that's just what drives me nuts, and that's one of the reasons why I'm getting in this race because I'm a fighter. I'm someone that's gonna, I'm not going to back down from from the fight. I'm going to I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's true. I'm not going to worry about the political consequences of that. When you talk about social conservative values, yeah. that can be kind of a buzzword sure. in politics, yeah. right? Yeah. Are Are you concerned at all that positioning yourself further to right on some of those issues? could be a turnoff in a district that, that's becoming more moderate, perhaps, politically. Well, and I want to address that because that's what people tell me all the time. They say, Mike, you're too Christian and you're too conservative to win in the 5th District. Well, if that were true, you know, I like Susan Brooks as a lady, but she's a pretty moderate candidate from a conservative standpoint. And she's not winning by blowout margins, all right? She's really, her margins have gotten smaller and smaller uh, over the last eight years. So for me, I, I'm looking at them say the Republican Party Ha this is still a Dan Burton district, in my opinion. And if we return to those conservative values, you're going to see fire in the bellies of the conservatives just bubble up, and they're going to go out and knock on doors. They're going to tell their friends. And that's what's happening in our campaign right now. I talk to countless Republicans every single day to say, you know what, for the last 10 years, I just haven't been excited to go to the polls and vote for anybody. And now they, they meet me, they see what our campaign is doing, they see the momentum we have, and they're like, you are the candidate that we've been longing for for, for a long time in this district. So I think we could, this will be a nine, ten point Republican district with that, that bold conservative voice. All right, again, more on our website. Up next, what state lawmakers are saying about Curtis Hill, plus Governor Holcomb looking at potentially returning some campaign contributions after a controversy over virtual schools. We'll explain. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. Pete Buttigieg taking on his rivals at last week's debate. We'll talk about it with our panel coming up next. All right, time to bring in our panel now as we take a closer look at this week's top stories. Joining us this week, former state lawmaker Mike Murphy, UND political science professor Dr. Laura Wilson, former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats Robin Winston, and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign Tony Samuel. A lot happening this week in the race for president. Nevada last night, what a debate out there in Las Vegas. And also these reports about <clears throat> Russia wanting to meddle in the 2020 election and the acting DNI ousted, perhaps in part for uh, telling those concerns, telling Congress about those concerns. Uh, let's get your thoughts on, on the week that was. Robin, I'll start with you. Well, the debate was great. I mean, this was a preliminary. It was tense. It was tense, it? but it was, it was kind of like a preamble of who can take on Trump in a debate. And I think everybody made very coherent points, made very strong statements. And the same thing that Elizabeth Warren said to Mike Bloomberg, you could just scratch Bloomberg, insert Trump, and she could say the same thing to Trump. I think it was great. What about, Tony, this back and forth between the president and the attorney general? The attorney general flat out saying that the president's tweets make it, quote, impossible for him to do his job. What did you make of all that? Well, I think impossible is probably uh, overstating. And I think the president himself said, yeah, it makes it, it makes it tougher for him. But the president has that right, and he needs to get uh, the message out to the American people that something, uh, when something is, is wrong, and I think... Uh, uh, it played out uh, showing that he was correct to do that. Now, the, the attorney general is doing a great job. Um, there, were, there were rumors about him saying he was going to resign. Not, not at all. He's, they're working very closely and, and hand in hand. Back to, to the debate, Robin's got a great spin there. But it was a disastrous night for, for Democrats, especially for Michael Bloomberg. And they're fighting against each other, showing that they have weaknesses. 
the American public's not going to go for really any of them, uh, as far as I can see. Laura, I want to get your thoughts on the debate as well here. We don't have all the results from uh, Nevada as we tape this segment, but it certainly looks like the math for uh, this race overall is starting to work in Bernie Sanders' favor. As we take a look at the video from that debate uh, the other night, who benefits the most here from Bloomberg's debate performance, which probably was not his finest hour. It, it wasn't. He looked rusty. He looked like he had an opportunity that he hadn't quite prepared for. And in his defense, perhaps he didn't qualify until just before, so he didn't know he was going to prepare for it. Right. It wasn't his finest moment. I think the two people that really benefited, Sanders, obviously, because he was doing very well in the polls, and he should have had the target on his back. Those other five candidates should have been challenging him. They weren't because they were focused on Bloomberg. Right. The other person was Warren. She hadn't done as well in Iowa and New Hampshire. This was an opportunity for her. She came in pretty aggressive, and I think this was a, a moment for her to really shine. You also had uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar uh, really duking it out, and an Indiana reference in that debate, too, Mike, when she mentioned the former mayor's run for treasurer when he was handily defeated by Richard Murdoch, who then lost to Joe Donnelly in 2012, something that the senator was uh, quick to note at the debate, along with that uh, zinger I wish everyone was as perfect as you. That's what she said. I'm not saying that to you. No, 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 no. That's no, what she said no. to Pete. No, I think if you look at the debate in, in total, I'd have to quote what a reporter said afterwards. And she said, this reminded her of a fist fight in a retirement home over the last Fig Newton. I mean, that's how bad this was overall. Four of them, I think, are in their 70s. I mean, the Democrats should not be choosing anybody of that generation, frankly. I thought the winners were um, were Warren because of her aggressiveness. She she just, I mean, she just kneecapped Bloomberg. I mean, just like the IRA would do. They shot him in the back of the knee. Wow. And then, uh, uh, what's his name? I was thinking down the line. I was it's thinking a hard name to pronounce. No, yeah. I was thinking visually down the line. You're thinking of the name of the president of Mexico? Mexico? Yeah, no, no. Right, exactly. Buddha judge. I thought he had some great lines. Um, I thought he did very well for himself. He was confident. He was aggressive. His message was good. Um, and I think those were the two winners. Keep in mind that the Republican Party eliminated primaries. So when William Weld ran in New Hampshire. In a Hampshire, number of states, not all of like them. Like Nevada. Yeah, right. Um, but, so there's nobody to vote for but Donald Trump, and there's no, pri there's no primary. So there's never going to be an indicator of the disenchantment within the Republican Party towards Donald Trump as we move forward well, I, I because they got rid of party primaries. I would say the indicator that's out there now for Trump is the rallies that he's having, three this week. And he's going to every state where Democrats where, are holding a primary. turnouts are huge, yeah. people staying out overnight. They're, they're as big as they were four or five years ago. We'll see what happens here moving forward from Nevada as we get closer to Super Tuesday. Let's also talk about the race for Congress in the 5th District. We had the interviews earlier with Micah Beckwith and Beth Henderson. Henderson tweeting out this picture from her fundraiser this past week with Senator Braun and former State Senator Luke Kenley as she and the other candidates look to earn Key endorsements, Mike, in this very crowded primary. Yes, I was at that event. I've been trying to get around to the different Republican events without really taking sides, and it was a very impressive event. Uh, at a home on Meridian Street. Some great contributors, some big-name contributors were there as well. I've been a little disappointed in uh, Dietzen, I think his name is. I got an email from him this week saying, thank you for joining my team. I never met the guy, never sent There's him an email. There's a lot of emails from somehow, all the campaigns. Somehow, right? supposedly on the decent guy's team, I've never even met the guy. So, you know, there's six weeks to go or so that will all play out. I still think it comes down to Brizzy, Mitchell, Henderson. How do you even wow. approach a 16-way 
primary. You've got you've just got to do something that breaks you out of the pack to, to boost your name ID. Money's not going to be as much of a factor. I think the advantage goes to folks like Carl Brizzy and, and, and maybe Kelly Mitchell because of their name ID with the Republicans. Democrats hoping this is a seat they can flip. I think we can flip it. Uh, Christina Hale's running a great campaign, as are other candidates in that race, but Christina will have uh, Steny Hoyer in town here in, in a few days to build her campaign uh, treasurer. So I think it's going to be a very, very good race. Keep an eye on it. Remember, Joe Donnelly won that, that district. And this will be a closely watched district, both at the state and at the national yeah. level. Oh, well. absolutely. Yeah. I think this is the, if anything could flip in Indiana, you know, like Pete Pasclossi is retiring, but we're not talking right. about District 1. We're talking about District 5 in part because this is when democracy is an opportunity, Republicans want to hold on to. And there are so many candidates to echo what Tony said. It's going to come down to that name recognition yeah. and who can ultimately win that primary. All right. A lot of talk about campaign contributions this week in the midst of that controversy over virtual schools that inappropriately spent $86 million in taxpayer funds. According to a report, Indiana Virtual School and Indiana Virtual Pathways Academy inflated enrollment and got extra funding they should not have received. The governor saying he's instructed his campaign team to identify any and all contributions received from the involved organizations and donate those campaign funds to a local nonprofit involved in education. This week, Speaker Bosma said the same. Absolutely, I am going to uh, donate all funds that we can trace to that group uh, that I, either my campaign committee or the House Republican Campaign Committee received to appropriate educational uh, institutions. I can't think of a more important thing that we ought to be discussing than the protection of the taxpayer's interests. All right, we have more information on the controversy that led to all of this on our website. Meantime, state lawmakers... Also dealing with another looming question this election year, what if the Attorney General's law license gets suspended as recommended by the hearing officer? Would Curtis Hill be able to stay in office? Lawmakers looking closely at that question in case that is the final decision from the state Supreme Court. You're looking at a, a process that's going to take 10 months to a year before uh, that license could, uh, could be back in his hands. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that looks... That looks challenging. I'm not here to tell uh, the Attorney General or anybody else what to do, but we're, we're watching that pretty closely. Will you guys need to step in and clarify that that would constitute a vacancy? Well, you know, we're looking at the, the law right now. It doesn't speak much uh, to that. All right, your thoughts on everything at the State House uh, from what happens with Curtis Hill to this controversy over the virtual schools, Mike? A lot going on there. Well, the Curtis Hill thing, the lawyers are going to still make a lot of money off of this before this is all over. Bottom line, the, if there's a vacancy, the governor is going to have to appoint. And I think Bosma said it well. He said, I hope the Supreme Court, when they confirm or, or modify uh, Justice Selby's recommendation, that they also lay out the ground rules. That would save a lot of people a lot of time. We don't know if there will be a vacancy, how this moves forward exactly. Right. And then on the other issue, on the virtual schools, the governor doing the right thing. And obviously, Speaker Bosman and other legislators will return the money doing the right thing. But also, this uh, is a, a, another reason why education now moving under the governor uh, will, with him and his uh, administration overseeing it. Robin, your view? They got caught. So that's why they're returning the money. Um, they knew about this. They were the advocates for virtual schools all along. This story, Tony, has been in the paper for months. This isn't the first time we've heard of it. I'm glad he's giving money back to his alma mater at Pike. The kids there could use it. You have to wonder if these will be a couple of issues that kind of dominate the headlines toward the end of this session, which has been otherwise pretty quiet. It has. It's been quiet. It's been fast. But I, I imagine we will continue to hear about these issues as they come forth. All right. Thank you guys so much. More on our podcast up next. Why Indiana lags behind other states when it comes to voter participation and what one new organization is trying to do to change that. Stick around.
A brand new initiative this election year to increase voter participation in the Hoosier State. It's called the Indiana Citizen. You see their website right here. This week we're sitting down with their co-founder and president, Bill Moreau. Bill, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you guys are aiming to increase voter participation by 20% in 2020. That's a lofty goal. How are you planning to do it? Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity yeah. to be here to talk about indianacitizen.org. Um, so this uh, idea really comes out of a publication called the Indiana Civic Health Index. The fourth edition of it was published in November. It's been a project of the Indiana Bar Foundation. And it has showed Indiana stuck, really mired in the bottom 10 of states for turnout. And to get us from the bottom 10 to the top 10 of states will require about a 20% increase in turnout. How do you do that in a state where, like you said, we have suffered with low turnout, particularly in off-year elections, it seems like lately. How do you ramp up voter enthusiasm in the Hoosier State? Well, the numbers are bad in uh, presidential years uh, as well. When so, you compare to other states. Yes, yep. when we're compared to other right. states. So it uh, starts with registration. Uh, we calculate that there are more than 1.7 million Hoosiers who are in the voting eligible population who aren't registered. And we'll be back after this with this week's Winners and Losers. Much more on our website. Stick around. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Robin. Uh, the winners were the people that um, exposed the fraud by the virtual charter schools. The losers are those of us who uh, liked going to Indiana Beach. Yeah, and it's going to close. close it down. Tony. Loser. Former Mayor Bloomberg, disastrous night, like I said earlier. Winner, my son Noah Samuel, fifth grader at Traders Point Chis Children's Academy. This is his button you're uh, wearing. Get on the boat with a Noah vote. And uh, <laughs> that won, was his right? theme. He Class won. Class president? Mayor of J. Bist okay. Town, a junior achievement program. Uh, yeah, probably right. Mayor Samuel. That's awesome. Nice job, Noah. Right. One winner this week, uh, OMB Director Mulvaney, in a very little notice speech in London, said, Republicans are always attending to deficits when the Democrats are in top power, but when we're in power, nobody seems to care about deficits. Laura? I only have a loser, and I'm going to echo Tony on that. It's Mac Bloomberg. He had an opportunity. He totally blew yeah. it. All right. Much more on our podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Some bonus content here today with our panel as we talk more with Laura Wilson, Mike Murphy, Tony Samuel, Robin had to run. Uh, but we were talking during the commercial about, all right, you got this 16-way primary, right, for Republicans in the 5th Congressional District. And we were kind of making the comparison, joking about uh, it's not unlike your son's election that he just won with, what, yeah, nine candidates? Ten-way, ten ten eight girls, and him and another buddy of his, uh, another boy, and I told him, well, the girls are going to split the vote. And, <laughs> and this was fourth and fifth graders, so the, all the candidates were the fifth graders. And I said, go after the fourth graders the fourth because the fifth graders will have their friends that they're going to vote for. Fourth graders might not know as, as many, so go after the shake hands, tell and them, now Noah's ask mayor. for their votes. He, and not everybody mayor. has a, a campaign strategist as yeah. a dad, right? right? Uh, but, but, you know, we joke about this, but that's a very perhaps similar approach to some degree in a multi-candidate primary that, that uh, candidates will take as they look at a field like that. Even in the, you know, the Democratic primary for president, you've got 
Bernie Sanders in that left lane, right? Yeah. While you have a number of other candidates now trying to compete yeah. for that uh, left-center vote, the moderate vote, and they're kind of carving all of that up. Pol Politics 101, be the champion for the underrepresented, and that's what Noah did. Yeah, you, go, you know Congrats where the votes are. Noah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. Uh, but, you know, as we talk about uh, you know, this Republican primary in Congress, the Democratic primary in the race for president, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting next, uh, next few weeks here in the state of Indiana as we watch these candidates for uh, federal office at the local level, and this is where we also start to see perhaps presidential candidates coming here to Indiana. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because we don't know what the fall off will be after after big uh, major Super Tuesday, Super yeah. Tuesday right. major, major Tuesday. Is you know does Klobuchar stay in it? You know does Buttigieg stay in? I assume he does. Buttigieg saying he needs to raise $13 million over the next three weeks if he wants to be competitive on Super Tuesday. Yeah, that's true. Well, I've heard preachers say that when they need a new private jet. Exactly. God's going to take me to hell unless I get $13 million for a new jet. So that's all salesmanship. The fact is that you know, after Super Tuesday, we probably will have a little bit more drop-off. A little more clarity. A little more race. clarity. Um, the, the trick for the, the 5th District Congressional people is... How closely do you tie yourself to Trump? Do you try to play a little bit of the middle of the road? Um, because he's going to win Indiana. But as we've all talked, you know, Clinton won parts of Hamilton County in 2016. So it's not a slam dunk, right? So how, how and then how, how much do you get yourself trapped in the general election when Christina Hale or somebody is going to be beating the crap out of you saying you're too close to Trump? It's going to be a fascinating uh, dance. Well, and to that point, I think that is the challenge when you have so many candidates in the primary. They all want to go to the extreme because you know your primary voter is going to be in the party, so they want more of that that ideological litmus test, yeah. For, you know, that purity test, but then to be able to pivot to the center. And in that district in itself, I think what's really neat about it, but also it's going to be really hard for the candidates, is you do have the top part of Marion County. You right. have places that are very urban and, then of course, suburban, and then you have farms out in the middle of nowhere. Like, that has to be a, such a weird demographic slice of Indiana. Very diverse district. Well, it I is, to appeal to that. Mm -hmm. you know, not all of them, maybe, but you need to appeal to 50% right. of them. I told one of the candidates this week who's, who's new to running, I said, my only piece of advice, now, you know, I'll talk to anybody that wants to talk, but I said, my one piece of advice is get to the Tipton County Pancake Breakfast. There's <laughs> 3,000 people there on a Saturday morning. If you miss that, the key, yeah. you lose Tipton County. You heard it here? Here's my thoughts. So back in 2016, we opened in the very beginning of April. Uh, the primary was May 3rd that year. The beginning of April, we opened our campaign office in Carmel at 116th and Range That's Line right. Road. The building's no longer there, the, right? That yeah, old, yeah, they're redeveloping that Yeah, area. exactly. Yeah. It's gone now. Uh, on May 2nd, we had a rally, the last of eight Trump rallies in the state before the primary uh, at the Palladium. Uh, then the general election. I think Bobby Knight was there. In fact, um, right? Bobby Knight yeah. was there at that one. Yeah. yeah, he was at a couple. One at the fairgrounds and at that one. And then, uh, and I think too. Gene Katie might have been. I was actually couldn't make it because I was downtown in a studio taping uh, an interview with Jake Tapper, a CNN interview on what was going oh, on see. between Cruz. And, and Trump here in Indiana, if you National remember. National news comes calling and you just flee well, our studio. And, no, and, yeah, right. <laughs> if, you, if you remember, Cruz and Trump were going at it with, right. with Mike Pence endorsing yeah. 
Cruz and doing a bunch of stuff kind of that weekend. Kind of endorsing Cruz. Kind of endorsing Cruz, but also right. kind of endorsing Trump. And yeah, there's the right. Cruz Kasich, like, yeah. anybody but Trump. Yeah. Vote for yeah. any one of us because they yeah. were losing so far That's in delegates. Exactly right. yeah. so, and, a lot of, and then we opened the general uh, election campaign in probably early July, somewhere in July, and that was at a different location, closer to 31 in Carmel. My point to this is Hamilton County, where you think there's a lot, you know, you know there is the moderate vote, but there was so much Trump excitement with those, all of those happenings in that area, and so many people coming to the campaign offices to get yard signs and us delivering them uh, and, and, and door to door that was, and all that That was kind of Mike Delft country for 10 years, sure. right? And sure. he survived with a very conservative, from a very conservative angle. Yeah. Michael so, Beckwith may be trying to take that lane. Well, well Chuck Beckwith Dietzen, and Dietzen, go right. back to the fifth, Beth, Beth, Beckwith and Dietzen are going to split that far right vote. It makes Beth Henderson look like a center-right person, even though she's pretty darn conservative compared to, to Beckwith and Dietzen. I think somebody that can uh, uh, be sincere in their support and being the Trump person, by that, what I mean is don't just throw on a hat like we saw some folks do uh, in the Senate primary back in 2018 and, and, and think you're the Trump guy. You know, you have to talk about the issues and the accomplishments uh, in, a way, in your own way, but that's what's needed, I think, more from Trump supporters rather than just uh, uh, relying on him to carry uh, everything on his shoulders. Do you think Beth Henderson is, is hurt at all by the, the knowledge that she once donated to Evan Bayh's campaign? Does that hurt her among Republican primary I, voters? I, you know, I've, I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan was a Democrat. Phil Graham right. was a Democrat. You know, I've, I've known so many Republicans who've done well in elected office. And in our interview, she said she's been a lifelong Republican. The donation yeah. was 18 years ago because Bayh I mean, was she working owes, on an agriculture initiative. She owes her voters an explanation. I'm not going to explain That's things away That's what she told us, her. yeah. Right. But she owes them an explanation just like anybody. But I've known a lot of Republicans who have been, um, you know, not all Republicans are perfect and not all Democrats are perfect. And there's times when you just... You know, you're trying to vote for somebody in your own party, you're holding your nose, and can you do it? And uh, so who knows what her circumstances were. What about the impact of endorsements? How, how does it help uh, a candidate like, like Henderson to, to have Senator Braun at an event? We're also kind of yeah. waiting to see what Congressman Carson will do in the Democratic presidential primary. Yeah, well, I think we said earlier, uh, Tony mentioned this, and it's true, name recognition is going to be really valuable. But if you don't recognize the candidates' names, but you do know who's supporting them, those endorsements, if you really like Mike Braun, I, I think that will hold weight. And especially for the voters that will come out in the primaries that maybe don't have the longer history, uh, the longer memory of, of all these different candidates, we say, like, oh, yeah, I realize I really liked this candidate. They supported him. And that's what I'm going to go for, or her, whomever it is. Interestingly I think enough, it will matter. Uh, Henderson's husband had briefly been in that Republican primary uh, for U.S. Senate against Mike Braun. <laughs> uh, speaking of Andre Carson, you heard in the interview uh, him telling us that he spoke with Mike Bloomberg uh, this past week. You have to imagine the Bloomberg campaign already trying to make those phone calls, trying to get endorsements sure. uh, from, from Beth from Henderson's people husband, also briefly considered thought about into running this for this race. race. That's this right. Race as yeah, well. right. They thought the, you know, the very articulate female presence was better than the white male presence. It so. just it goes back to your your point uh, about the multi-candidate race. And hey, I thought your son exploited a field yeah, there yeah. that that had. Yeah. Uh, a gender uh, yeah. gap, and right? he did a great job with yeah. his speech. I, I should say. Um, well, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, we, and, and we had a we took the picture from a. This is kind of not fair. We took the picture from uh, the the fundraising uh, event, where it was all four of us uh, with uh, President Trump when he was candidate Trump, 
and he had his shoulders, uh, his hands on Noah's shoulders. Oh, so you <laughs> were flying an endorsement. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Did you the president it? was with totally, Noah in this totally, race. Well, probably not. You, not this sure. really got it. We should have covered this yeah, race on InfoCast. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think right. Bloomberg copied you because you mentioned Bloomberg, uh, Carson. With the Obama like, ads. Yes, right, yeah. like the implicit, <laughs> exactly. look what this guy would like. We're trying to pick off those Biden voters as Biden is a sinking ship. In 2004, I had a primary opponent, and Mitch Daniels was running in the primary. And so to separate myself from my opponent, all my yards said, like that sign said, Daniels Murphy. <laughs> I never asked Daniels for permission. I just did it. And it was a, actually a ripoff of what Lyndon Johnson did when he ran his first time. He was running against an incumbent yeah. for Congress. And it was, must have been 32 or 34. Um, all of his yard signs said Roosevelt Johnson. And everybody assumed that Roosevelt was backing him. Hmm. So there you, you go. play all kinds you of tricks. Yeah, that's true, yeah, right? Just on this on this fifth district, I thought about it for two days because I've got some name ID from this show. Uh, oh, and oh. From, probably from the Trump 2016 campaign, and my wife said, you don't need that. Could we have had, could we have had a race of two former in yeah, focus that, panelists? that might have been fun. Yeah. In oh, the fall, but, wow. um, but no, I decided no. Well, that would have, you know, it made it an even larger field yeah, than yeah, it already yeah. is. Guys, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Congrats yeah. again to Noah. Yeah. Thank you. Get on the boat with a Noah vote yeah, was the, the winning slogan there as he uh, becomes mayor of J.A. J. Biztown, Town, yeah. uh, which is coming up. Very it's a cool. great um, facility for junior achievement for kids, learning, helping them learn life skills and, and the work environment. And a neat way on the podcast today to compare the dynamics of, a, <laughs> yeah. of an election exactly. at school to uh, the elections here in Indiana. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.